0: To begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. This is our podcast that we've created to enhance, connect and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So wherever you might be tuning in from today, thanks for getting on board, thanks for listening, thanks for spending this time with us. I know that your time is valuable and so I thank you for giving us some of yours and sharing this conversation with you. I hope that you too will be inspired by the conversation that I share today with David Sinclair from the class of 2004. He strikes me as a very humble young man who is seeking to make an impact in his unique way with his collection of skills and contacts and connections and his desire to help people have a positive experience in their day. Truly a good thinker, great at reflecting And a good storyteller along the way. I think many of his teachers from years gone by would not be surprised at the role that he plays in society today. But I want you to tune in and I'm going to begin by talking with David who did indeed spend a significant amount of his growing up years here at Yarra. David when did you begin your journey at Yarra Valley Grammar?
1: Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Paul. I really appreciate um, coming back to the to the grounds of the campus. Um, so started in prep, um, and I graduated 04. So do do the mathematics on that one there. It's uh, 1991 okay. uh, was my was my first year here, um, and then went all the way through to, uh, to to year 12 and graduated year 12 2004. So quite a long stint here. The the uniform. You remember the greys, I remember the the light grey socks, the knee-high socks, (laughs) I remember copying a bit of flack for those down at Lidl Station on the way home to Coldstream, so um, yeah, that's uh, pretty distinctive, and obviously the the black blazers as well.
0: Yes, yes. Was there, do you recall a change in jumper? Did you have a, a red jumper in junior school? Do you remember that clearly or not? And then black by the time you got to
1: yeah, year 12? there was an evolution there, so definitely red. I remember the, the bright red in yeah. junior school and then and then the black in the senior school yeah. came in. And I think we, ro- we rocked a vest as well, which we thought was pretty oh, cool. Oh, did you? Yeah, a vest? Yeah, a yeah, vest as well. So Goodness, we was, there'll be
0: people who will be happy not to see the vest,
1: I guess. I'm sure, but I think at the time we thought it was, uh, we thought it was okay. So <laughs> any change was good for us at that stage after wearing the same thing for so long. For sure.
0: What about a hat? Were hats part of, I mean, going back into those days, his hats were not as seen as critical as perhaps what they are nowadays. Do you remember a hat?
1: It was still pretty sun smart. I, I remember the red the red one with the with the big flap on the back, the Same. really the really trendy <laughs> one, like we were going into the desert camping or something. So we, we wore those a bit. Um, that was that was pretty distinctive.
0: Yes. Saturday sport is a big part of lots of school experience at a place like Yarra. Do you remember enjoying Saturday sport? Was that something that you woke up on a Saturday morning excited to go and be with your mates and play sport or was it something that you really struggled with?
1: I I reveled in it. I mean, it was always mixed opinions. I know that my Mm -hmm. my wife, who's ex-Yarra, she she, uh, didn't enjoy it. She Mm -hmm. tried to stay in bed as long as she could on those Saturday mornings. But uh, for me, I loved it. I played tennis uh, for a long time with Yarra. Mm-hmm. Um, and then played all sorts of sports in wintertime. Um, hockey was a, a big part of my my sporting life here. Okay. And then uh, snow sports is probably the number one thing for me that I, that I loved and ah. I was in the ski team from a young age. So I um, yeah, really enjoyed that aspect.
0: So walk me through uh, a snow sports. I assume it's a weekend and you leave here on a Friday afternoon. You drive a long way. Yep. You get up there. It's freezing cold. Tell me a little bit about why. <laughs> Tell me about the attraction and then you – Maybe come home late on a Sunday, mm-hmm. and you're back to school Monday.
1: Yeah. Well, we sometimes we got to duck out, on a get a Tuesday or a Monday off, and actually go and do the skiing with with with, with snow sports. So that was great. Okay. Uh, to uh, to dodge a few classes with with that and, and hit the slopes. The appeal of skiing. I mean, geez, where where do I start, mate? It's um, I think at that age it's the freedom. So you're there with. Mates your own age, you know, 13, 14 years old, and you can roam the whole mountain. You, we'd go to Mount Buller. You could go ski to the summit. You could go ski in Wombat. You could go wherever you want. You, mm. you hadn't had that freedom before, or, or at least I hadn't. You know, I grew up on on a farm in Coldstream, so there wasn't much I could do apart from being on that farm. Right. Um, so I really enjoyed that that freedom, and then just the thrill of being on the slopes, the yeah. speed, the the adventure, the learning how to how to turn and cut and. Um, yeah, just the social side. It's very social. You're on a chairlift with everyone at the end of the run and yeah. did you do that? Did you hit that little bump over there? Did you go through those trees? Just that that chat, it's just really exciting. So I've, I've always loved
0: that. Um, skiing as opposed to snowboarding?
1: Snowboarding. So I st- started with Yarra skiing and then I moved to the board when I was probably 12 or 13.
0: Okay. Yeah. So in those early days, no matter what your background, you start as a beginner. And I wonder whether there were any... Like a really good stack that you can remember. Was there a tree that just jumped out in front of you? Was there maybe another skier who you didn't see coming, or somebody I don't know tripped you up? Is there a stack that you can re- recall? Uh, and maybe maybe you can't because you went unconscious. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I'm probably stitching up a mate here, but um, <laughs> go on. Yeah, I was there. We were probably 15, and um, a friend from my uh, from here, and Andy Berkner, was was there on one of his first years in ski in ski team, and we. He was following me around and I said, oh, we'll go down this run here. It's not too hard. Turned out it was a black run with moguls. Oh. Um, I believe it's called Powder Keg. And um, I recall watching him crisscross into the trees, get lost, crisscross back, the moguls, his knees bumping up and down and, and losing a ski probably every every minute and, and hearing some profanity from him at me for taking him down that direction. And then I remember the ski school kids who are, you know, the little Milo kids come by, they're all you know, five years old, and they were just hanging in on him pretty much.
0: Whizzing around. Whizzing around and, around as if, and yes. hanging out on him
1: and, and really letting <laughs> him know um, where he was at in life. And I think, yeah, that's he, he he likes to remind me of that every time we go up. We, we still go up every year to Hotham together, a group of mates from Yarra.
0: I'm and, happy to um, say that And Andy is a listener. Andy's been on our podcast, and so he will definitely hear that story. And yeah, uh, okay. We may offer him the right of reply because he may have his own version of that, although it sounds like you did stitch him up.
1: Yeah, not deliberately, no. I'm sure, but, um, yeah, it turned out I've got a few guys that were there with me too who can, um, yeah, create create some evidence around that. So, it was good. It was good. Yeah, yeah, good fun.
0: That's good. Now, I want to go back for a moment because you, you came in prep and then – so, you've spent a significant amount of your time at Yarra. So, in that sense, you've uh, – A lot of your foundation, a lot of who you are was influenced and impacted by Yarra and the people who were part of your journey along the way. We have a phrase that we now call the Yarra spirit. And I I wonder if that means anything to you. Do you understand what that is? And would you define it? Could you describe it? Is there something about Yarra that, that is a bit special, a bit unique, a bit different that in your dealings with, you know, socially or in business or in other pursuits outside of Yarra makes your experience a little different.
1: Yeah, the Yarra spirit's not a term that I've I've used before, but I can see what you mean. I can see how you can encapsulate that. Um, I mean, we used to call people Yarra people or Mm. Yarra boys and girls and that's probably a similar vein. Um, I think there's there's a humbleness to it out here. Like, you know we're sort of you know one of the one of the furthest private schools out into the eastern suburbs is not too much further than here mm. um and you find that it, it's a collection of people from all across the yarrow valley um who some come from humble beginnings some not but um a sort of salt of the earth sort of people you know i remember my year level was really diverse and uh, my old brother went to a city school in his um, high school years, and it was just a different environment. Mm. Everyone he knew was from a different background. Mm. Um, but here, yeah, I, I find it's just a humbleness. It's a um, there's a lot of loyalty, a lot of community out here. It's a strong community. Yeah. Um, I think just it's a, it's a school that takes care of its own, and and comes here and and um, doesn't judge and doesn't have um, some of the other attachments that maybe bigger private schools, city private schools have. Yeah. Um, and I, I sort of probably wouldn't have understood that if I didn't have the experience from my older brother um, and then from people you meet at university and the like. Yeah. But, you know, it turns out it's quite rare to have mates from high school still at my age. Yes. Uh, and it's such a commonality amongst people from Yarra Valley. They've, they've collected high school mates and kept them.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I think there's something special about that, something about the caring. Nature of the school and yeah. something about that spirit, as you talk about, that exists that you know it's hard to quantify, mm. but but you definitely feel when you're even being back on campus today, like it just rushed memories through your brain of that 13 years and, yeah. and such positive experiences. And you're lucky to have them because a lot of people don't look at school positively, sure. Um, and for me, it was an incredibly positive experience, you know, one of one of one of the best stages of life so far. Mm. So now I, I really enjoy the experience here.
0: That's terrific. And our, our younger listeners. May struggle to believe you because they're in the thick of it and I think when you are a student, when you are living it, you don't fully appreciate how great it is and the opportunities and the experiences and doing those challenges and adventures with your friends. But in hindsight, you would say amongst the best years of your life.
1: No doubt. And well, I think we were pretty lucky. We were fortunate to be grateful at the time. Like I remember year 12, mm. we, we had that new year 12, 12 building constructed and we were there probably in the second year of it existing. And I think, you know, we our close group of mates, we all said, look, how good is this? You get to come here every day. You get to learn. You get to be with your best mates. And I think we also knew that like – you Don't have to organize it, your mates are just here every day. Yeah. There's no, um, you don't need to call them and who's free and who's not, and who's committed, who's not. Everyone just rocks up and they're together, mm. you know, five days a week and then Saturday mornings. And what you find is when you leave school, that becomes so much harder. People move into state overseas, different commitments, different family commitments as well. Um, you know, for some reason, we sort of grasped that concept and we were grateful at that time. Like I remember saying to, to guys like and girls, how lucky are we mm. to, to come to school every day and hang out with our best mates, um, you know, in, in a beautiful spot and, and, and learn and develop with each other.
0: Yes. You mentioned before that we take care take care of our own and I think that's right. There is a, a genuine care for each other and we want to celebrate growth and development and, and even we celebrate, and rightly so, people who just have a go. And whether you're skiing or playing hockey, not everybody's the champion. There are some who are there because they've got to do it, but at least they're out there having a go. I wonder if you can recall, was there any sense of after looking after yourselves, was there any looking out? We call it community links nowadays. Where you deliberately and intentionally do a fundraiser or you commit some time and effort and energy to helping the wider community. Mm. Do you recall any experiences like that? Not,
1: not so much. I mean, being here, you obviously got involved in all the fates and different events and there's okay. so much extracurricular that you do. And mm. I know that your parents get dragged through all that as well, mm. um, whether they love it or not. Like I know that my mum did a lot of tuck shop stuff and fate stuff and my mother-in-law still does things now, even though all her kids have graduated, you know, years ago, 10 years ago. Um, so I think there is that community spirit and that connection because it's such a focal point of this area, yeah, Rally Grammar. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a, you know, I listened to, to one of these before yesterday, just to get a feel for what this is all about, Paul. And you, know, you spoke about, you know, uh, Levi Oculus and lifting up your eyes. And I think that's about, um, looking, looking to others in my mind as mm-hmm. a definition yeah. You know, so like when, when you're lifting up your eyes, you're looking to serve others. Yeah. And I think that Yara instills that in you, that it's not about you. Sure, you need to take care of your basic needs, but it's yeah. about serving others. And as you grow in life and speak to people and develop, you learn that the most satisfaction in life comes from helping others. Um, and I think Yara tries to instill that. And I feel like, you know, for me, that's what that, that motto means yeah. to, to me. Um, and I think it's an important one.
0: And that's become a, a foundation for you, um, To then continue to try and as you grow and change and and develop yourself, still have an inkling of how can I help others? How can I serve others? How can I create experiences for others that are good for them? And I think that's terrific. Tell me a little bit about other foundations, maybe an academic foundation. If in your say middle and senior school years, academically where would we find you? In terms of was there a, a, a selection of subjects where you really thrived where you wanted to be? Were you on stage? Were you in the fine arts department? Were you in the library knuckled down? Were you on the, in, you know, in math class, you were at the front of the class cause you were so excited there. Where were you kind of, where were your strengths?
1: Yeah. I, I probably didn't take the academic side seriously until, you know, year 10 or 11 when, when the whip started cracking and we had, you know, the one twos and the three fours units that you knew counted towards an end score. Mm-hmm. Um, and you wanted to make sure that result was, was, um, was positive so you could you could pursue future education. Um, I I did a lot of extracurricular, as I mentioned before, you know, ski team, um, did a lot of drama, did a lot of plays, really enjoyed that aspect as well. Outdoor education, you know, we did a lot of camps just through being here and you, you mm. had to go on school camps together, but I always really enjoyed those those camps and they're still fond memories for me. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, for, for, for me, you um, I think academically what really triggered me was the humanities subjects. And there was a few teachers here particularly that helped trigger that. Um, I actually ran into Mr. Manning, who I believe might've retired this year or maybe is in his and last he's back. year. He's back, good. Well, I, I ran into him and I hadn't seen him since I, year 12. And you know, he was a great English teacher and, and also a fantastic philosophy teacher. Nice. And I know that for me, that really triggered a passion that I didn't know that I had in philosophy. And I ended up actually chasing that through university as well and, and trying to dive deeper um, once that spark was lit. Mm. Um, same with Mr. Van Ags and in International Studies in year 12. Mm. Um, that really, really triggered some, some interest for me. Um, you know, all, all the history subjects that we did as well. Um, I think yeah, the humanities for me was a really natural draw card and I found very interesting, mm. um, as well as you know, some of the drama subjects, some of the acting things as well, was always really fun too, to get nice. out there. And, and my group of mates was pretty, was pretty strong in that area as well. So I think you, you do a bit what your mates do, but yeah, I, I love the humanities, the arts, Doubled a little bit in fine arts, but yeah, definitely more humanities based. Sure.
0: Take us to the stage. Uh, And you might have been in the audience, or in fact, you might have been up on stage. Is there a performance, maybe an event that you were part of that really resonates, whether you were a tree? or whether you were up the back cheering on your friends. Is there, and it might be the name of a musical that you remember or a, a time when the set fell down around you or take us back to a, a, a memory of being on stage.
1: Yeah, we did a uh, year-level, we did a play called Ashwood, which was a, a version of the Cinderella story, um, and I got cast as, as the prince, mm-hmm. and it turns out my wife got cast as Cinderella. Hang on. So I don't know if you're stitching me up with this story bringing <laughs> no, up. whether not at all. But this is actually how we, we were at school together, right. and we knew each other, but we didn't really know each other until that play. And, um, you know, I remember there distinctively that um, part of the script was that we had to share a kiss uh-huh. at the end of the play and um she refused to kiss me in all of the uh, fair enough yeah in, in, all, in all of the staging and <laughs> trialing and and um that was pretty flat for me I was a bit flat on it um so we had to re-choreograph the script so there was no kiss and we just finished nice and close and then it went dark so I remember all the all the guys egging me on that I should just land one on her on stage and see how she reacted but I was I was well behaved and it good work. it worked out for me which was good
0: absolutely absolutely a, a little bit of uh after the curtains close perhaps, but, uh, that's a good, that's a good gig to get, uh, the, both the Prince and and being Cinderella in that context. Uh, did you pursue acting any further beyond school?
1: I did. I did a little bit at uni, but like, there's hmm. just, just some classes, but, uh, no, not in terms of actually, you know, looking to get on stage or, or get into, uh, films. I did, um, participate in a, in, in a movie called The Cup. I worked as, as part of the, the set and crew, um, which was which was a film uh, shot back in, I think, 2012 uh, around Damien, Damien Oliver yeah. and his Melbourne um, Cup victory. yeah. Um, but they, that's probably the most exposure that I've had. I've, I've always loved movies, yeah. just yeah, never seen myself uh, actually in them.
0: Sure, sure. So take us back again then to the end of secondary school and you got a result and that result perhaps led to something. Um, we don't need to know the result, but where did it lead to? What happened after you left school?
1: So, uh, after school, I went to Monash University mm-hmm. uh, and I, as I grew up in Coldstream, so it was a little way from Monash in, in Clayton. So, I moved in there to the halls of residence. Okay. So, I spent yeah, three years on, on, on campus there, which is a really, really good experience. Um, and studied arts there. So did, did politics and international studies at, at uh, university level as well, uh-huh. with the aspiration to go and chase politics further. Like I was looking at going into um, the diplomatic corps to, to DFAT or something along those lines right. um, from there. Uh, and you know, I, I finished school and graduated and applied to a few, a few roles in Canberra and wasn't successful. And um, I met some really interesting characters along that journey, living in the halls. And you get a lot of international students. Mm-hmm. And one guy that I grew really, really close with was um, from from Boston, from America. And um, we joked about during school, "Oh, we should go and do a ski season in the states, and that'll be really mm-hmm. fun." And I said, "Yeah, that's great. You know, he sounds Chris. Good on you, mate. That sounds good. All you know, probably never see you again." Mm-hmm. And he called me when I graduated and goes, "Mate, I found a place. It's called Breckenridge, it's in Colorado. You know, we're going to get jobs lined up in ski school. Let's go do it." And I'd applied and, and wasn't successful for these roles with um, in Canberra. So I um, I decided to fly over there and spend, um, yeah, spend a year in the States wow. traveling at, at, at 21, which was which was great fun. And in ski school there in, in Breckenridge in Colorado, and then um, finished up uh, on a little island on the coast of Massachusetts called Nantucket, um, which, was, which was great fun. Worked at a, a really um, prestigious hotel there. So um, some more hospitality experience, which is where my career's evolved to.
0: Yes, we'll talk more about that in a moment. What do you learn as a twenty twenty one year old traveling, doing something you love by the sounds of it, but what do you learn about yourself in that environment? Now, you had a friend at least to start with and you were doing an activity that you, you know, you deliberately went there to do a particular role. But what does that experience, has it unpacked for you as you reflect back?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a big question, Paul. Um, look, I think... For me, travelling, I've always appreciated Australia more when you go overseas because you sort of grow up and you, and this is normalised. Growing up in the Arrow Valley was normalised for me, not realising it's one of the most beautiful parts of the world you know, mm. when you travel around. So you, I always come back and go, "Geez, like I'm pretty lucky here. Melbourne, Australia, like lifestyle, just, just the scenery that we live in, the the, living, the people that we have, the communities that we, we've formed, um, very spoiled. Um, you know, America's a, a very different place and each state is very different as well. You know, mm. you go to Colorado, you go to Alabama, you feel like they're two different countries, the way that people see the world, their politics, their outlooks. Um, whereas I think that in Australia, we're probably more aligned. If I go and meet someone from Brisbane, I don't think that we're diametrically opposed in terms of the way that we view the world. Mm. And I think that was the interesting thing about me is, you know, the United States really is a united forming of, you know, 50, 50 different states and it is very different where you go. and. Mm. Um, yeah, that's that was probably eye opening in that in that travels to learn that because you sort of assume that what you know is what is in the world. Yes, and then when you get that exposure, you realize, oh wow, things are very different mm. wherever you go. But no, look, I love the experience, and you know, I love the um the American spirit. They're very boisterous, and um, they're very fond of Australians. There, so it's not hard to travel around. Mm. Mm.
0: We're talking with David Sinclair from the class of two thousand and four, and David, you mentioned in there along the way, you've told us a little bit about the foundation of supporting and helping and caring for others. You've spoken in there as well about hospitality. Does that segue nicely to where you are now and what you're doing? If so, what are you about nowadays? Do you hang your hat on a particular role, a title, a business, a purpose in life?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, my purpose is more than, more than my business. So, um, you know, I've recently got into a franchise called The Sporting Globe. I've opened up a new venue in, in Chernside Park with a business partner. Um, and that's that's the second franchise system that I've been involved with in in my career.
0: So The Sporting Globe?
1: The Sporting Globe. Bar what, and grill. what
0: what happens there? What do you do there?
1: Well, as the name suggests, there's sport involved. So it's 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 sport, beer and food pretty much. Mm-hmm. So you go on there to, to watch to watch your favorite sporting team play, have a great meal and, and hopefully be enjoyed and, and receive some great hospitality. Great. So you walk in there as about sort of seventy TV screens from all different sizes and we really try to build a big atmosphere around big games. So you know, 40 starting this, this Thursday. We're very excited to have that back and yes. I'm looking forward to seeing the mighty hawks play. I'm not sure what they're gonna do this year, my my favorite team, but um You've just
0: lost more than half the
1: audience. <laughs> oh, come on. People love they they feel bad for the Hawks. Now that we're losing Well
0: well, maybe Maybe there's some empathy There for sure Are you in the kitchen Are you front of house Are you just working On the books Behind the scene What's your role in that
1: so my role is venue manager and mm-hmm. then that's my background. So I have actually worked in the supporting sporting business for five years now in different roles, uh, but starting as a venue manager. Yeah. So I'm there um, helping to, to, to lead the team. It's it's front of house mostly, but still managing the back of house as well. Yes. So we've got a staff of about 70, 70 guys there in, in that business and right. helping to manage them and you know, roster it correctly and ensure the services is, is, is smooth. And we're executing a major events and all those components.
0: Yes. So we're recording this um, on the back end, we hope of, of Covid. And I imagine for a business that really relies on people coming in and being in the venue, there's been some real challenge in the last 12 months. Mm. As a leader within the business and, and obviously got some investment in that as well. How have you coped with that?
1: Yeah, really challenging. I mean, we, myself and my business partner, we signed up to the franchise in April. So we, we knew COVID was existing and we knew the mm. risks associated. We've been planning to be involved for sort of three years. I joined the business to get that experience to, to do it as a franchisee. Um, so yeah, look, really, really intimidating and, and a very tough time. Um, you know, I think that there are industries that have been hit harder than hospitality. I think we've been lucky to be able to stay open and do at least takeaway to generate some revenue having that government assistance and JobKeeper has been real lifeblood for that industry, mm. um, which finishes up at the end of the month for some businesses. So yeah, look, it's, it's been, it's been tough, but you've really seen, um, like always, I think you see in tough times, people get together as, as a community and really form strong bonds and, and really support each other. Mm. Um, and I think we've seen that in hospitality, even with the, the lockdown that we had in February for that week, we mm. were amazed with the amount of people that came in and got takeaway orders from our business. Mm. You know, We're not a business designed to do takeaway. It's, it's a large venue, it fits 700 people. Um, it's designed that you go in there and you have an experience watching the sport and being in there. Um, so we didn't think people would really resonate with the takeaway. But I think just community-wise, people wanted to continue to support us because they would yeah. liked that experience and 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 wanted us to continue to succeed. So we were yeah we were really um really humbled by that response yeah. for that for that week's period.
0: Wow, that's that's great, and I love that community component that you you recognised, you saw coming in your doors and or or at least getting the takeaway. Take me back to home life, and perhaps there's community there, and growing up on a farm, mm. Coldstream what did what did that look like and feel like in terms of you you shared with us before that there was a freedom when you got to the slopes in the snow and some would say but if you live on a farm you grew up on a farm surely there's freedom there where you can you can run around you've got however many acres to explore as opposed to a quarter acre block that other people might have experienced what is it like to grow up on a farm
1: i, I should i should define it. It's a hobby farm. Okay. It's a hundred acres. Well, that's so still, it's still, sizable. It's, yeah, it's sizable, but it's, you know, I, I, I say farm to mates from university and they go, mate, that's not a farm. Okay. So, right. yeah, there was no, um, yeah, there's there's horses on there. My parents are in the equestrian um, industry. Yeah. Uh, so, there's there's horses there, sometimes sort of 20 or 40 head of cattle, but it's not a not a traditional working farm. Yeah. Um, but I think when I spoke about Fred and my keep, as I said, I was here from a young age uh, at Yarra Valley. A lot of mates lived around here and the concept of walking to the milk bar to get a chocolate bar was pretty normal mm. for me, that didn't exist. So I think it's that freedom to right. be able to go and go to a store and do things with mates. Like I couldn't, I couldn't see any mates unless my parents drove me back to this yes. area. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like there, there was all my connections were around this area, Knight, Ringwood, Doncaster Way. So I couldn't walk next door to hang out with the next door neighbours. No. You know, that that didn't exist. So I think the freedom when I speak about the slopes was you could you had your mates with you and you could just go and you could roll into a, a cafe and have lunch and then you can go hit the slopes again, then roll back yeah. and and have a hot chocolate or something like that was that was unique to me, whereas yes. to others it wasn't unique. That's so right. So I think that's what I really appreciated
0: about Interesting. it. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's a really helpful perspective to to see that actually living next door to other people and walking up the street and there being a milk bar or a cafe there, that is a sense of freedom. Whereas others would go well you can, you don't have to get home before dark or because you're already home like you can, but I also understand the notion of not having your mates right there and, mm-hmm. uh, and next door neighbours and so forth. So that's really interesting. I wonder if we might head to what I like to call the lightning round, nobody else likes to call it that but I like to call it the lightning round. Okay. What happens is I've got a, a bunch of quick fire questions. Some of them will be top of mind and uh, you'll recall quickly. Others, you know, it might take a sentence to describe it and explain it to us. But tell me, David Sinclair from the class of 2004, when you were a student at Yarra, what house were you in? Hughes. Yellow. Mm-hmm. Were they any good back in your day?
1: Uh, mixed bag, good at swimming. Okay. Um, we had a couple of really good swimmers in, our, in the year level above me. But, yeah, not as strong at maths.
0: What was your contribution to house spirit?
1: Very little, a lot of cheering. Okay. Uh, I didn't, I didn't mind the hundred meter race, but I wasn't very fast. Um, so I think yeah, a lot of, a lot of house spirit encouragement, I would say was, was big on my agenda.
0: Still very important. Very yeah. important. From Coldstream, how did you travel to school? What was a morning look like for you?
1: The old Mackenzie's bus from Hillsville. Still so, going. Yes, they're still going. So, you know, I used to um, get dropped off or walk down the dirt road, which was Madden's Lane, and, and catch that bus. And I was the only one getting picked up uh, on the side of the road on Maroondah Highway. So that was, he had a life of that, which was, yeah, which was fun. Yeah.
0: yeah. Who were the school captains back in your year level?
1: So uh, two close friends of mine, so Hugh Middleton was school captain. He was from Coldstream area as well. Uh-huh. And then my, my current wife, Meredith Knox, who is now Meredith Sinclair, was the school captain.
0: Fantastic. What would we likely see in your lunchbox when you're a school kid? Nothing. Uh, so, yeah, my, I
1: was a picky eater as a kid. So from junior school and mum decided that she needed to slip me a 10 buck note and it was up to me to figure out what to get because she wanted me to eat and she knew that I wasn't eating those cucumber sandwiches she packed for me. So, <laughs> um, yeah, there was a lot of... A lot of sausage rolls going on, a lot of potato cakes, a lot of dim sims.
0: So um, we have a, a pretty substantial calf and was there a go-to, like I know it became common for you, but was there a treat? Was there a, and, and it might have only been at certain times of the year or certain days of the week when there was something for sale and you thought, oh, yeah, I want one of those. Hot jam donuts. You couldn't go buy them. No, I yeah. agree, agree. Is there a memorable moment for you at Yarra, whether it's on the sporting field, whether there's a moment where you received a test back and you had worked really, really hard and there was a a proud moment in that or maybe you're learning lines and you nailed it at a particular time, just a particular moment that serves well as a positive memory?
1: Yeah, there were so many, Paul, to Mm. be honest, Um, I think, you know, certain recognition for things you did, you know, certain colours you got for snow sports or, or drama or other things you participated in to get recognition for that. But even getting that part, to be honest, I was pretty stoked with. Mm. You know, I hadn't done a lot of acting before to do that and I'd done a pretty dodgy um, dodgy trial there and somehow they gave me the part. So it, I think they're really positive. Um, mostly it's the relationships though, to be honest, they're, they're the, the big positive parts that came out of it. And, you know, I was saying before this interview, like I'm still in connection with a few guys who started here in prep, um, you know, not really close, but we'll speak once or twice a year. Yeah. And I think that's that's really special here. And that's probably what I hold most fond is those relationships, um, not, not the particular um, events per se. If
0: you had invited me over for dinner, thank you. What's a go-to meal? What are you going to prepare? What's something that you is a specialty at your place?
1: Cooking wise, oh are we? Um, for me, I love a bit of Nocchi. so we, I do a little uh, chorizo gnocchi, uh typically with a bit of a uh, with some, probably with some basil or something along those lines. Keep it pretty simple. I spent a little bit of time in in, in Italy through uni. Monash has a campus there, so I picked up a few a few skills there. So yeah, anything Italian. Uh, little pizzas or a little bit of gnocchi would probably be my go-to mm. if you were going to come over if you were lucky enough to get the invite Paul.
0: All right take me off the list then you can invite three people from any time any era any time dead or alive any industry and they're all coming to your place for dinner mm. who's on the invite list?
1: Well, um ancient history wise would probably go uh Socrates I've always been fascinated by him and I know that a lot of his uh, teachings came through Plato and Aristotle, so I'd love to hear it from the horse's mouth. Um, big fan of politics, as I mentioned, so probably JFK I'd love to meet mm-hmm. also. And then I think a third would probably be Bill Gates, some, someone present. I, I really admire Bill as a businessman and, and philanthropist, so I think that, uh, those three would be interesting to,
0: to meet. Terrific. You've mentioned a couple of times your delight in travel and eventually the world's going to open up again. We're going to be allowed to go wherever. Is there a place that is on your list that you haven't yet been to that you are really excited for and or is there a place that you'd strongly recommend our listeners put on their list? Yeah,
1: that's something you could give a million places, mate. I mean, for me, I was even chatting about it last night at dinner. I'd love to do base camp in Nepal. Mm. Um, I've actually spoken to a few guys from here who've done that. It's going to be a gang, is there? Yeah, well, we'd love to. We've put always on a trip. Yeah, we yeah. talked about doing it. and We've got to do it before we're, we're too old. So that's <laughs> yes. that's probably one of the places on the list. Somewhere to recommend to go to. I mean, that place that I said, uh, Nantucket in, in Massachusetts. It's off the island. It's it's an island off the coast of Mass in mm. in on the east coast of America. That that place is very picturesque. It's an old whaling town, um, uh-huh. but it's very Hamptons esque and cobblestone streets and. really Americana, you know, American flags flying at every door there. So I think if you want to get a taste of Americana Mm. um, in a really picturesque setting, um, Nantucket would be my suggestion. Mm.
0: What are three apps on your phone that are used the most frequently?
1: Ooh, three apps. Uh, Well, being a sports bar owner, I love sports. So uh, there's a lot of sports apps floating around, you know, NBA and and, uh, NFL and and AFL. they're they're pretty prominent um there's one called uh deputy that we use for rostering and hospitality that that i'd be referring to every day Mm -hmm. so i'd be using that a lot um and then a third app that would be unique i'm not sure i'm in the weather app i get into that a fair bit as well and and your news apps too so Mm -hmm. nothing too out of the scope there to be honest with you
0: no that's all right no that's good are you a reader? Is there a book that you would recommend, uh, a book that was maybe transformational or was a, 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 you couldn't put it down or not?
1: No, I'm a reader. I love reading. Um, I like just the, the sense of time that you get with a book and you can really digest it at your own pace mm. and then refer back to it whenever you want. I think it depends on what interest you're pursuing at the time because for me it's kind of about what are you pursuing And now in business, I'm sort of trying to read a lot more uh, management books and business books and get a bit of a feel for that. Um, Mm -hmm. I read one recently um, uh, called From Good to Great, Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting analysis of um, 10 businesses that had really boomed on the stock exchange over mm. over a long period and just the the fundamentals behind why they'd boomed, mm. the management principles, management styles, and all the continuities between the ones that have succeeded and the ones that hadn't. Mm. I thought that was that was a really interesting book um, by Jim Collins. Mm. So I think if anyone's interested in, in management or leadership and and sustained success, I think that's probably one that I would recommend. It's good.
0: It's good. And I, I appreciate what you say, that that sometimes we read, we explore things that are... Of particular interest at that time in our life, particularly if it's about self-education and learning some more. In those books, in that one in particular, there's the opportunity to learn and to seek the advice, the wisdom of somebody else who's put time and effort and energy into research and so forth. What advice would you offer to your younger self? Let's take yourself back to 15, 16. You're in middle school at Yarra Valley Grammar you're a little boy running around. You've got your grey shorts on. Your socks should be pulled up, but they're probably not. Your tie should be done up, but it's probably not. Your shirt should be tucked in it, but it's probably not. i yeah. not sure how you wore your hair in those days, but are you proud of that young man and what advice would you offer him? Yeah, I, I,
1: I am proud of that young man. I, th- I think it's important to to be proud of yourself Um he probably had some blonde tips floating around then, which was which was in style. I'm sure. <laughs> don't know if he looked good or not, but uh, he he had them. So uh, look, uh, tips tips for me looking back, or tips that I give to your younger self. Um, I, th- I think it'd be don't put too much pressure on you on your future, you know, and and let it come to you naturally. I mean, I, I was pretty good at trying lots of different things, mm. and um, you know, I was never that kid that. You know, I was 10 years old and knew I wanted to be a policeman. You know, I never had that clear direction Mm -hmm. of this is the career path that I want to take 100%. There was lots of interests that I wanted to pursue and it took me a while to frame that into a career. Um, So I I think it just would be be patient and continue to trial and test and don't let that stress you out. Mm. Um, You will eventually find a way. Mm. Just make sure you keep doing what you are interested in doing and pursuing. Um, You know, I could have gone to uni and pursued, you know, accountancy degree knowing that that would lead to business and, and that would be beneficial but it wasn't something that sparked my interest at the time and i was really wanted to dive deep into the the humanities and those things that are really you know sparked my interest here at Yara. Mm. Um, and i really enjoyed that mm. uh, and as much as it doesn't have the same commercial application i think it frames you as a human being a lot mm. um, and in life you've got to find that balance between commerciality and then just doing what you love and being yes. satisfied
0: and somewhere there is that combination and it seems to me that you, you've got that now. There's a business component but there's also people and you're clearly fascinated and interested in people and what makes them tick and how they operate. And, and I guess as somebody who seeks to help your customers have an experience, you're always trying to work and develop and enhance that experience for them and, uh, and I, I admire that I think that that's a really special talent to be able to have their best interests at heart because the more you serve them the more you help and equip them to have a great time that has benefits to you and your team as well and I, I think that that notion of thinking of others is is clearly something that that inspires you and keeps you you know getting up and going to work again the next day which is great
1: yeah th- thanks Paul I appreciate those kind words and um. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's hospital is all about that, serving someone else. Mm. You know, as much as we're doing it for a dollar, um, you know, we're only as good as our last service. Mm. And you really do need to try to understand and impress the customer each time. Um, and, you, and you're there to serve them. Mm. You know, it's not about you. So it, it is, it is a, a great industry.
0: We're... Almost at the uh, top of our time so I I appreciate your time and your generosity. I've just got a couple of last questions for you and uh, and one of them is um, you mentioned that you didn't your advice would be not to put too much pressure on yourself in terms of your future And, and I agree with that. But I wonder if you can take us forward a little bit. What if everything goes well for you in the next, let's say, three years? What's happening for David Sinclair? Where are you? What are you doing? What are you involved in? What have you achieved? Have you finished that puzzle finally? What are you involved in in three years' time?
1: I don't think you ever finish the puzzle. I think the puzzle just keeps evolving and it's just on to the next thing and the next challenge and, you know, pursuing the next interest you know maybe it'll still be this in three years time I mean I think for me I'd love to establish a successful business and have that continue to grow and and um from there you know I've got sort of a lot of varied interests so I wouldn't be surprised in three years time I'm, I'm I've angled a different way but still want to have that foot in business as well hmm. you know, I, I love this business that I am in currently as I said you can't really lose with you know sport beer and food I mean it's, <laughs> most blokes are pretty happy to be around that all the time so I can't complain. Um, but yeah, in, in three years' time, I'd hope that that business is established and formed. We've got a great team together who, who are super competent yeah. um, and confident as well to execute um, without me being around. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that can lead you to some freedom. So either pursue more more business or you might pursue something in a different area mm. or you might be, you know, giving back more, which is, mm. I think, you know, as I said, that's something that is probably a strong desire for me that I'd like to do more of as, as I get older.
0: mm, mm. What do you think your teachers would say as they listen to this? You know, Dr. Manning, he'll uh, probably tune in. Mr. Vanags, we still have contact with him. He's going to listen in. Some of your teachers back in those days and maybe even some of your junior school teachers will give them a shout out as well. Would they be surprised at what you've done and achieved and where you've ended up or would they go, yeah, yeah, I I thought there was something of that in him? I I don't know. I, I think
1: they, I mean, I think they always thought we had a good group. You know what I mean? Mm. That was the feedback they'd always given us. Look, we think you guys have got a really special friendship group. Mm. That whole year that we were in, there was no, there was no clickiness. Everyone was mates. There was no different segregation. Everyone spoke to everyone, which was fantastic. You know, 140 people, that's not that common. Mm. Um, I think they knew that I was a chatterbox, so they wouldn't be surprised that I'm in hospitality <laughs> and, and talking to people a lot. Um, you know, and you'd hope they'd be proud to, to, to learn that what they taught me here has been passed on and retained um and that also we reflect back on the efforts they put in for us and really appreciate them too yes you know i hope that really is rewarding for them because they're here serving a purpose too sure and i'm sure it's nice hear for them that they did make an impact and, yes. and that and they are thought of fondly
0: absolutely that term chatterbox is probably used differently when they write it in a report or at a parent teacher yeah interview. with the parent
1: teacher interview yeah it is <laughs> it is so yeah there was there was many um yeah there's some warnings there but i think um <laughs> in, in the end of the line it, it was that excitement for people and wanting to learn about yeah. people that leads you to be a chatterbox, it's not about always distracting from the subject. And when you find the right subjects, you, you do become less of that chatterbox. So sure, sure. You know, as I said, as I got more serious in my academics, um, that certainly toned, toned down a little bit uh, during class anyway.
0: Yes. My final question, it's a two-part question and it's probably the most challenging question of the whole time. And again, I appreciate your generosity of, of and willingness to tell story and share perspective and and reflect and at times think deeply about what did that mean and what was that all about and how has that got me to where I am now? And, and the question is this, simply, what question did you really wish I had asked you? And then can you answer that question? Mm, what question? I, th-
1: I think there's always the why, isn't there? the why in life of why you do things Mm. and, and, and the purpose question, I'm sure that especially in your caper as a chaplain, that why questions that comes up a lot, Mm. you know, why do you do what you do? Um, why do you find it satisfying? Mm. Um, I think that's not a question that I wish you'd ask. It's bloody hard to answer (laughs) and there's really no good answer to it. Um, but I think, you know, my, my why reverts back to people and, um, and, 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 Pleasing people, making 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 people happy, you know that's what the hospitality experience is about. Is really um, giving people a positive experience, being part of the best part of their day. Hmm. You know they come into you after a long day of work. Um, they come in there to be entertained and enjoy, and um, it's very satisfying to give them that positive experience and give them that release um, during that period that you have them. Hmm. Um, you know, I think that's that's my why in my business is to give them that. Um, and through through you know, all different forms of entertainment that we provide, mm. um, so I think that's probably probably the question that I wish you asked, and, and probably a question that I've bumbled through an answer
0: with. Um. No, I really appreciate that. I think I think it's important work at finding a way to offer people a moment of joy, and as you say, at the end of a day, perhaps with some friends, an opportunity to come to a venue. And just relax, have have some laughs and enjoy company in, a, in an environment that you've helped to create is a tremendous why. I think that's a really beautiful reflection. I really appreciate that. David Sinclair from the class of 2004, thank you for your time and as I mentioned before your generosity of reflection and willingness to explore and unpack a little along the way. If people who listen to this podcast come and knock on the door at the Sporting Globe in Turnside Park. Will you look after them? Of course. Excellent.
1: That's, that's in our DNA.
0: Excellent, excellent. And if they wave the Yarra banner then uh, that you might even uh, lay down the red carpet for them. Perhaps not.
1: Yeah, we, we only charge them double
0: so that's great. Yeah okay yeah. well that's all it's good perfect. then. That's all good. Thank you David for uh, allowing yourself to be impacted and inspired by Yarra and being able to reflect on that and see how the impact and the influence of not only your friends and the people you were on the journey with, but those who helped craft and create it along the way, your teachers and, and your parents and the parents of your friends as well, all have an impact. And I think a lot of them will be very, very proud and rightly so. So thank you for your time. Thanks for being with us, for being inspired by Yarra and being an inspiration to Yara. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Cheers. And that all but wraps up another episode of Inspired by Yara. And I hope you found that conversation with David Sinclair interesting and fascinating and you enjoyed his storytelling and his reflections and his humility and his ability to bring others along for the ride. I love how he appreciated how good it was and how good it is here at Yarra. Interestingly after we finished our conversation we went for a bit of a wander around the the school property and there were very many fond memories of times and conversations and hanging out with his mates at various parts around the school and it's just a privilege to be able to have that walk and chat with him. As so many fond memories came back. So I do hope you enjoyed this and look if you know anybody else who knows of David or was in that year level 2004. Anybody who perhaps is in the hospitality field and might be intrigued by his approach and his why to be involved in that industry. Then please we'd encourage you to share it, pass it on, like it, give us some feedback. We're always seeking to uh, make these conversations better and more engaging for you, but also to share it with more people. And if you can help us with that, then we would be very appreciative. My name is Paul Joy, and on behalf of everyone here at Yarra, and in particular, the small but committed team who put these conversations together and released them to you in this podcast format, we say, best wishes for another day of inspiration where you head on out there with an extra burst of intentionality to make a positive impact in the world around you.